Computer, initialize Holosuite. and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Sci-Fi Feminist Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about by far one of the best sci-fi movies I've seen this year, which is of course none other than Dune. I'm going to talk a bit about the female characters that we saw in that movie and maybe also a little bit about the male protagonist, Paul, in the movie. Um, but before getting into today's discussion of Dune, I would just like to spend a moment to thank Ashley Ariel on Patreon for generously supporting this podcast. Ashley, thank you so much for listening and thank you for supporting the podcast. I really appreciate your support. If you would like to receive a shout out on the podcast or if you would like early access or some other perks, then head over to my Patreon page and go have a look there and support the podcast if you would like to. All right, so without further ado then, let's talk about Dune today. So I think unfortunately today's episode is not going to be very long because actually when I saw the Dune movie this year, that was the first time I was actually introduced to this really magnificent piece of science fiction. So I was a bit um, sad that I didn't know about it earlier. You would think that a sci-fi fan would know it. But actually, Dune, um, it's based on a book written by Frank Herbert that was already written in 1965. So you can imagine that actually this book, this piece of science fiction, already influenced um other big franchises like Star Wars and even Game of Thrones. Um, there actually have been many Dune books and um, apparently uh, one or two uh, movies and TV series too that I, um, yeah, I didn't know about. Um, but I think the movie was highly enjoyable. Um, of course, graphics and things were were very good uh, the cinematography everything was very good unfortunately i had to watch it on my small laptop screen because my cat jumped onto my tv and and broke it so uh, i'm definitely going to watch dune again and hopefully i'll be able to watch it on a bigger screen but um yes so there are actually a few um big female characters in the in the movie so today I'm going to focus on four of the main female characters. And they are basically Paul's mother. Uh, her name is Lady Jessica. She is the concubine, but also plays a very significant role in the film. Her name, it is Dr. Leet Kynes. I hope, uh, I hope I'm saying that correctly. She is the Arrakis-based plantiologist and ecologist. And she also occupies a quite an interesting position in the film because she's also the mediator between the Fremen and the people from the Empire. So she, kind of acts on 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 the outskirts on the outsides of um both of these uh, societies which i think is quite interesting and that is something we are going to look at in today's episode a bit more 
I think even more interesting is the fact that in the film, uh, she's obviously a woman, um, but in the, the book, in the Jew novel, um, it's actually a male character. So they gender swapped the role for the film, which I think is quite significant. And more than that, she's also played by a black woman, which adds another layer um, of representation that I think is quite interesting. Then uh, another female char character, of course, is um, Chani, which is Paul's love interest. And I thought she looked familiar. And then I realized it is the girl who was in Spider-Man um, in the new Spider-Man movies. So that was quite interesting and exciting for me to see. And then, of course, there is um, the final female character. It is the Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mohiam. <laughs> yeah, um, she is basically Lady Jessica's mentor and uh, another very strong and prominent female character in the movie. So there are actually quite a few prominent female characters. And um, I think each of them definitely... Uh, there is something worth talking about for each of them. So today I'm going to look at these four characters, um, not in too much detail because I haven't read the book, but um, it will definitely give you an idea of where Dune scores, how much Dune scores in terms of uh, being a good or bad representation of women in film. Uh, for me, spoiler, uh, it leans towards a good representation of uh, women in science fiction. So before actually uh, getting into the discussion of these female characters, um, I thought it would be useful to look at science fiction and women in general. Um, as you know, in science fiction, there have appeared quite a few very prominent and powerful female characters. Um, we had since... Well, since the beginning of sci-fi, um, it wasn't always that great for women. <laughs> Many times we saw uh, women that are very sexualized and uh, women that kind of just act as the love interest for male characters, like we had on Star Trek, the original series, uh, Captain Kirk's various love interests <laughs> throughout the series, and they all happen to be very sexy alien women. Um, then, of course, there is Princess Leia and her infamous uh, slave bikini um, <laughs> that became such an iconic image uh, for science fiction. And... Um, yeah, a few others too. There's Barbarella. I don't know if you've seen that movie and maybe that should be the movie recommendation for this week, but uh, it is the strangest film. It's basically Jane Fonda, who is um, an intergalactic heroine and um, she is the, the main protagonist of the film. Now, Barbara, Barbarella came out in the 60s. Uh, so around the same time that Star Trek, the original series, came out, and also interestingly the same time that um, this Dune novel was written originally. Um, but she's... Uh, it's, it's very strange because there's so much um, uh, emphasis on her sexuality, and she wears these very skimpy uh, outfits. So... Uh, Barbarella is also a little bit problematic, even though it is uh, a science fiction film that's 
based solely on a female heroine. Um, yeah, so if you want something trippy to watch, then I highly recommend uh, watching Barbarella. I actually didn't make it through the whole film because I, yeah, I was just like, I don't know what I'm seeing here. <laughs> I didn't finish it. But anyway, um, here towards the 80s, um, many really powerful women in science fiction started appearing, like Ellen Ripley, Sarah Connor, uh, Captain Janeway, um, even Dana Scully from The X-Files. Um, all of these types of female characters that are not sexualized, that are very subversive in many of their own ways, uh, started appearing in science fiction. Now, there is a theorist, her name is Sherry Inns, and she wrote this in 1999. She says that despite its history of objectifying women, the sci-fi genre is also quite unique in its ability to explore progressive ideals regarding women, gender, and race, while still being widely accepted by contemporary audiences. Why is it like this? It is because... Um, sci-fi movies, sci-fi books, um, sci-fi TV series, they're all generally set in a hypothetical future where current taboos no longer exist. So, um, most of these play off in the future. Star Trek 2, um, Captain Janeway as the, as the captain of the starship, it plays off in like the 24th century. So, we kind of assume that, you know, that time it will be accepted to have a female captain of a starship. Um, so that is why it is generally accepted because, you know, it's showing us something progressive, but it is hypothetically in the future. So it's not too close to home. Uh, quite literally, it's out in space <laughs> in the future. So we don't feel threatened by its progressive ideals. Um, also, and this is a quite interesting uh, argument um, that another theorist, uh, surname is Lathers, uh, made. Um, they said that since women are traditionally associated with the maternal nature and by extension the earth and men with the assumed binaries of these, such as science, culture and space, conceptions of women in outer space provide a theoretical and historical problem. Because they dissolved the supposed binaries of man and woman, earth and outer space, private and public. So... Um, space, uh, it provides a, um, a platform to explore um, images and ideas of women that are not um, traditional or that are not conventional, such as a heroine like Ellen Ripley, who is quite masculine um, in every way, except for the fact that um, she's played by Sigourney Weaver, a woman. Um, and as you know, um, just like this doctor, uh, what's her name? Uh, let me just get the name again. I don't know the names of the, the Dune uh, characters as well. <laughs> uh, Dr. Leeds Kynes. So um, just as Ellen Ripley was gender swapped uh, from the original Alien script. So yeah, this is a fun fact. Actually, Ellen Ripley was supposed to be a male character, but then at the last second, they 
they casted Sigourney Weaver and she played the role. So just as she uh, she was gender swapped, um, so is this doctor um, from the book to the movie. And having a female ecologist and plantologist, I hope I'm saying those uh, scientific terms correctly, um, who's played by a black woman, um, that opens up various different possibilities and all sorts of different arguments regarding women in outer space. So that is quite interesting. If that was played by a male character, it's, um, it would have been entirely different. Um, yes. Okay. So with that said, um, that just gives some context of women in science fiction and especially women in outer space. Let's then get into a short analysis of each character in the Dune movie. So I'm going to start off with Dr. Kynes, because I think she's by far um, one of the most interesting female characters. So like I said, I haven't read the book, so I don't actually know what the male version of this character is like in the book. But um, in the movie, she occupies quite an interesting role. So like I said, she's kind of the mediator between the Fremen and the Empire. And um, she kind of works in the shadows, working for both of these societies and kind of mediating between them. Um, she says that she doesn't choose sides, but at the end, you know, she kind of does choose a side. Um, but she is Fremen, as far as I know. She also has those blue eyes. So uh, first of all, what's interesting is that she occupies a liminal space. Now, liminal uh, meaning kind of an outside space. So she doesn't really fit into the Fremen side, nor does she fit into the Empire's side. Um which makes her interesting because it allows her to function outside of the hierarchies uh, placed in each culture. We see female characters walking on the outskirts. Um, for example, Captain Janeway, who is removed entirely from the Alpha Quadrant and um, basically um, does all her things in the Delta Quadrant, literally 75,000 light years away from Earth, that allows her to be kind of uh, liberated from Starfleet hierarchical and patriarchal structures. Now, of course, that is debatable because um, in Star Trek, you, you know that um, they still adhere to the Starfleet principles, but at least some people have argued that, you know, being on the outskirts, quite literally, um, you know, being on the other side of the galaxy allows her to have a bit more freedom as a female character. And I would say the same for this uh, doctor. Uh, Dr. Kynes. So um, yes, that is the first thing. And I think that is quite progressive and subversive. Um, she gets to kind of pl play on both sides without being restricted to either. And I think for a female character, that can be quite liberating because we see that many other female characters in the film are quite confined to their role, especially the concubine Lady Jessica, although she's empowered in her own way um, that which I will get to um, she's kind of uh, stuck in this patriarchal empire um, culture 
Um, the second thing, of course, is the fact that uh, this character is a doctor. <laughs> it's Dr. Kynes. Um, and like I mentioned that she's played by a black woman. Um, of course, um, in the past, despite the fact that there haven't been... Um, in the past, I mean like 50 years ago now, we've really come quite a far way in terms of representation. But you do not often find actually um, smart female characters. And especially when it comes to representations of black women, um, they're not often represented as, um, first of all, um, astronauts, scientists, people in outer space, Um we had some of that in Star Trek here and there, Lieutenant Uhura, but um, as I argued earlier or in an earlier episode, Lieutenant Uhura, despite being um, a representation of a black woman in space, you know, being a lieutenant of a starship, she's still quite sexualized. But this doctor, um, she is not. We see that all of their outfits definitely does not place emphasis on their bodies. All of the female characters in Dune are sufficiently covered um there is not emphasis on their sexuality um so yes in terms of that um i think it's very interesting that they cast a black woman and i think that is quite subversive too uh, an interesting aspect of this character and that's why i thought it's very interesting that they gender swapped the character is that she's an ecologist and a plantologist now as i mentioned earlier women are more closely associated with the earth and with nature so it is very interesting that when they have a female scientist in the in the movie that um her science is the science of the land not necessarily the earth because they are technically not on earth they are on another planet um but uh, she's still associated with um, the land and um, she studies the science of the land. So even though she's a smart female character and even though she occupies this liminal space um, outside of the hierarchies of patriarchy and the empire um, and also the hierarchies of the Fremen world, um, she still is a scientist of plants and a scientist of nature. So once again, we see this kind of link between women and nature. The idea that uh, women are instinctively connected to nature. And of course, this has to do with women's biology. Um, in art, history, philosophy, many um, areas of study, Women are linked to the earth because they have the ability to bear children. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole discussion of women and the earth again and of motherhood again. Um, but what we could do with this doctor is um, we could link it to ecofeminist theories. So I wouldn't necessarily argue the fact that she is a female scientist of plants and the environment as a negative thing. Um, when we look at ecofeminism, uh, ecofeminism kind of sees the exploitation of nature and the exploitation of natural resources and the earth in general as a kind of a metaphor for the exploitation of uh, men, of women, <laughs> the, the exploitation, yeah, of women by men. <laughs> that is, I just had to phrase that correctly. So, 
um, when we apply an eco-feminist reading, we can see it's quite interesting how the empire, which represents this really masculine order, uh, we see the, the ruler of the empire, they're all men, and that really creepy guy that, like, becomes really tall, I thought that was quite creepy, um, also ruler of the empire, and even the ruler of... Uh, Paul's uh, family, um, it's all ruled by men. Um, but then um, what men do is the empire comes and they exploit the environment. They uh, harvest the, the, what's it called, the spices from the sand, from the dunes. And that is kind of what they do. And then, of course, uh, the Fremen are in opposition to that. Um, we could also link the Fremen to a more feminine type of um, disposition um, because the Fremen are close to the land. They live in the dunes. They've literally become part of the dunes. And uh, we have this really masculine empire that come and exploit that. Um, it's also interesting that when we are introduced to the Fremen, we are mostly shown the girl, uh, Paul's love interest, um, Spider-Man's girlfriend too. <laughs> um, let me just get the character's name. Uh, it's not good to refer to female characters only in relation to their male counterparts. Um, Chani, uh, that is her name. So uh, we have this dichotomy, the Fremen, uh, the female side that is being exploited by the empire, this really masculine order. Um, yes, so in terms of ecofeminism, I think an ecofeminist reading of Dune provides some very interesting possibilities. All right, so that is it in terms of the doctor. Uh, let's look at another uh, female character, which is, of course, uh, Chani. Um, Actually, I don't know quite what to say about her yet because we don't actually see much of her. The only places where she is introduced is in Paul's dreams and in Paul's visions. But interestingly, she does act as a kind of a guide um, to Paul throughout. I would also say that Paul himself is not a typical masculine um character or masculine hero, he definitely does not fit the archetype of the type of heroes, male heroes we see in science fiction. Um, for example, you have the Marvel superheroes, um, Terminator, uh, many Star Trek captains. Um, the list goes on and on and on. Um, <laughs> it's like when someone asks you, what's your favorite bands? And then suddenly you can't think of any of them. Um, now that I need to list them, I can't think of any of them. Um, but there are countless male heroes that really fits this macho masculine archetype in science fiction. Um, Paul is a little bit different. And interestingly, he is guided by this female presence all the time. I think a very significant female presence in his life, too, is, of course, his mother, Lady Jessica. Now, what I found quite interesting about Lady Jessica is that even though she is a concubine, um, and I think generally um, concubines are, you know, just there for... Uh, 
two things, <laughs> which is sex and uh, providing offspring, you know, uh, more traditionally. Um, what is quite interesting is that she has quite a big role to play in the film um, and also in Paul's journey. So something very interesting that um, for me about her was that uh, Paul inherited his powers from his mother. Um, there is that part where she meets uh, the the Reverend Mother, um, Gaius Helen Mohiem, I hope I'm saying that correctly, where the Reverend Mother meets Paul. And Paul is like, um, yeah, you know, I'm having this hard time because of my father because I'm my father's son. And she's like, no, actually your father has nothing to do with it. Um, you are Jessica's son. That's why you inherited the power. And that's why you are seeing these visions. So we see that actually not only in terms of guiding him throughout the film, uh, genetically too, she is the source of Paul's power. And I'm not sure, um, if it is like this in the book too, if you have read the book, I would be very interested to hear your thoughts and comments on this, um, whether she plays such a prominent role in the book as well. Um, very interesting is that um, this mystical order, um, they're called the Ben Gesserit, Again, I hope I'm saying that correctly. I'm very sorry if I'm offending anyone with my bad pronunciation of these Dune terms. I'm really just getting into Dune. And um, I think Dune is going to be my holiday reading in December. Um, but it is this powerful order of women. Um, only women are supposed to inherit these powers, uh, according to the film. And um, we see, of course, the, the Reverend Mother is quite upset because Jessica has decided to teach a male um, the powers of the, be uh, the Bene Gesserit. Um, you know, the... It seems like that is pure anarchy, sacrilege. You know, how could she do that? Um, yes, and then if we look at the, the mother character herself, at Jessica herself, she's not only the one that always guides him throughout the film. Um, quite early, actually, he's separated from his father, so he does not receive the coaching from his father, but for most of the film, actually, from his mother. We see that she taught him the secret language that they use with their fingers. She taught him how to do the voice thing, uh, where he can force people to do things. Um, she plays a very active role in the film, and um, she's actually as powerful as the sun. She also receives prophecies. She has all of these powers, and she passed them on to her son. And at the end of the day, that is what makes him special. That's what makes him this messianic figure for the people. And that's also what allows him to, to kind of become this mediator, too, between the Fremen and the the Empire. Um, it is really her influence that shapes him. Um, I would argue, uh, mostly. Um, yes, 
And uh, of course, we see that all the women in the film are pretty good fighters too, uh, especially the Fremen women. But even Jessica herself, she is not at all reliant on her son or on male characters for anything. She is quite proactive. She really does her thing. Um, she also guides the plot and she has a lot of screen time. We really see her quite a lot. Um, we see that she's quite um, intuitive and smart too uh, when she chooses her um, the the people that are supposed to work in the house for her. Um, she's quite intuitive, knowing you know who who's carrying a weapon, uh, what's going on, and even though she's the concubine, um, she has a lot of authority and influence in the empire. So. Um, Yes, there are quite a few uh, powerful women in this film. Of course, the Reverend Mother herself is an interesting figure. We have this um, great mother figure. Um, I say great mother, not in terms of being a good mother, but it's an archetype, the great mother archetype, who is both destructive and regenerative. So we have this like scary kind of mother figure who tests Paul and who also um, guides Jessica. Um, you know, she she is this, this all-powerful mother figure. And um, it's interesting that it seems like motherhood is, again, quite an important theme here. Um, the influence that these mother figures have on the male protagonist's life and his journey, and his status as the hero of the film. Um, like I said, I don't know if this is how it was in the book in 1965 originally, but I think it provides quite an interesting take um, because in a lot of other sci-fi and not only science fiction, but many other all sorts of films, um, we usually have the, the father and the son and the father passes down his uh, heroic qualities, his name, his everything to the son. So we have that continuation of the patriarchal lineage. Uh, so it's quite interesting that in Dune, actually, it's the opposite. Um, Paul is really the product of his mother and the reverend mother and their whole, um, should we call it a cult, <laughs> their whole cult thing. Um, he is the product of all of that. Yes, so um, quite an interesting film. And in terms of women's representation, I think it did a, a pretty good job. Um Yes, I'm very interested to see what part two is going to hold. Um, the movie didn't feel very long when I watched it, but it's actually a two and a half hour movie. So when it finished, I was like, what? <laughs> uh, I mean, the movie basically just started and now it finished already. Because um, we really finished like literally in the middle or, you know, when things are actually only going to start to get real. Um, <laughs> this feels like the movie ends quite um, abruptly and I, I didn't think it was going to end there. So I, I was a bit like staring at a wall for 30 minutes, not knowing what to do with myself after it ended. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm very excited to see part two and especially the role that uh, I keep forgetting her name. Um what is her name, the role that Chani is going to play um, in terms of uh, Paul's journey and also in terms of the film as a whole. 
Yes, so that is my short take and short analysis of Dune. Uh, as always, thank you very much for listening. Um, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you want extra perks, please support me on Patreon. Um, please check out the t-shirts I've designed uh, if you would uh, like some cool sci-fi merch. And um, yes, next week I'm still deciding what to ha do next week, what type of episode to do. If you have requests, then you can sign up on Patreon and send me a special request and I will do an episode specially on a topic that you want. So you can let me know. Thank you very much for tuning in. Have a very good week ahead. Um, as always, live long and prosper. This is the Sci-Fi Feminist signing off. Bye-bye. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer. List other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Blast Shield, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I think we all thought Ransom was going to go into that fight scene thinking that it was game over before it even started and he was going to lose. But I think the moment he rips his uniform off, <laughs> yeah. which is hard anyway to rip a shirt, but to rip an actual like jacket like that, mm. pretty impressive. And then he had like about, I don't know, I think it's like 62 abs. He just looked ripped and then he was just like, you know, a little bit of this, yeah. a little bit of that. <laughs> I was just going to say, it was the way that he also narrated it. It was just perfect. It was great. Ransom definitely went to the school of Kirk Fu. Ransom Fu, maybe we should be calling it. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Random Trek Review, a Star Trek Review Podcast. Yeah, the one you mentioned with Dr. Crusher is hilarious because it gets down to her and Captain Picard. And so it's like they have this giant galaxy-class ship and there's just the two of them and he acts like it's a normal thing. And it's just absolutely ridiculous, right? Two people on that giant starship. And there's even the point where, the, where she says, Computer, how many personnel would it take to run this ship? And they're like, 832 or something. And Picard's like... Oh, yeah, that is kind of weird, I guess. I thought we were just doing it, the two of us, you know? Like, that was pretty funny. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.